Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast. With me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week we chat about all things motherhood and well-being. How has your summer been? I have had a lovely couple of weeks off and thank you to all of you who have sent me lovely messages saying that you've missed the podcast. I've missed it too. I am back raring to go and I've got an amazing episode for you today and some incredible ones coming up. So thank you for your continued support and listening and for every single one of you that messages me. I really, really appreciate it. So on to today's episode. It is with Dr. Oscar Serilak, who is a family doctor with a passion for mother's health. He believes that mothers are the fabric of society and that healthy societies need healthy families and healthy families rely on healthy mothers. Now, you might not have heard of Dr. Oscar, but you might have heard of the phrase that he created called postnatal depletion. He first wrote about it on Goop, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle site, which I love, by the way, definitely check it out. And it actually crashed the site because the response to it was so overwhelming. And I think that's because so many women and mothers finally felt seen and heard about what can happen after birth. And he says postnatal depletion can last seven years or even longer after we have our babies. So what is it? Well, you're going to have to listen to the episode to find out. That's what we talk about. We talk about what this idea of postnatal depletion is. It's a a very real thing that happens when a mother's not allowed to recover from a nutrient point of view, from a hormonal point of view, from a sleep point of view after the birth of the child. And when a woman gets into a depleted state, she can have a lot of these issues, you know, physical issues and emotional and mental sort of well-being issues. How Dr. Oscar came up with it, what we can do about it if we think we might have it, and he goes through the symptoms in quite a lot of detail. He talks about how to avoid this depletion and there are things that we can do, you know, during that immediate postnatal period to avoid it. For a body to be able to recover hormones, we need to have minimal stress and a place for deep relaxation for the hormones to come back online. We also talk about an amazing new phrase, which I hadn't heard, I wonder if you guys had, called matrescence, which is an anthropological term, much like adolescence, which describes the transition from woman to mother, with a particular focus on the changes that happen to our brain chemistry and what a transformational time it is. So we talk about that as well, which I just found fascinating. I hope that you guys do too. So here is the episode. I hope you love it. If you did, let me know. Pop over onto Instagram and tell me, did you experience postnatal depletion? Do you think you have postnatal depletion? Or do you think the whole thing is a load of rubbish? I hope not. Anyway, let me know. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I am at motherkind underscore Zoe. And here is the episode. So, Oscar, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Zoe, for the invitation. It's really great to be here. So, I have just been for a brilliant two-hour talk with Oscar. So, I'm feeling really inspired and I'm so excited to share Oscar's wisdom with you all. So, for those of you who don't know Oscar, Oscar wrote an article 
called postnatal depletion on a tiny website called goop (laughs) (laughs) and that changed my life and it changed your life Mm. and it broke the site so i guess where i want to start is what is postnatal depletion and then secondly why do you think it did break the site what was it about this concept that millions of women just jumped on postnatal depletion is just a description of the syndrome that can happen to mothers after they've had a child that includes fatigue baby brain just huge changes in a woman's sort of well-being and it's a condition that I've sort of coined just from my observations with my partner and my clients and a lot of friends in my community. It's a, a very real thing that happens when a mother's not allowed to recover from a nutrient point of view, from a hormonal point of view, from a sleep point of view after the birth of a child. And when a woman gets into a depleted state, she can have a lot of these issues, you know, physical issues and emotional and mental sort of well-being issues and now i wrote the article for this site because i'm super interested in this topic and just thought it would be great to get this knowledge sort of out there and it broke the site and i got a lot of emails from mothers but also people who had their children 30 40 years ago just saying thank you for the acknowledgement i really suffered when my kids were young no i wasn't acknowledged i wasn't seen and just to sort of hear you talk about the context around that postnatal period and giving it some substance i think people really appreciated that on a very deep level and when you speak the truth people hear the truth and that's something that i think sort of really sort of happened you know i wasn't trying to sell anything it's more about this information around a topic that is fundamentally important but very understudied Mm -hmm. what was your journey to get to writing that and to coining this phrase you shared earlier that you were looking for information on this and just found a chasm really of nothingness so this idea around what is the postnatal period it's very poorly defined from a medical point of view and it only extends out the physical issues six weeks beyond the birth of the baby and for psychological mental health issues six months beyond the birth of the baby and so they're fairly limited and also very narrowly defined about what things are considered to be diseases or problems in that time and so, you know, my journey with it, I'm a, a general practitioner and I, in my early career, had really sort of focused on emergency medicine, wanted to start a family. So I made the transition into becoming a family medical doctor, you know, a GP, and did my training in family medicine and realized, OK, there's a lot here that I don't know about well-being and health. So I started to learn functional medicine. And what's functional medicine for people who might not know? Yeah, so functional medicine is the medicine looking at how things function in their body. So in terms of how the cells work, in terms of how nutrients are incorporated into the body, how digestive health and how the environment affects all of those things, and then the interplay with the nervous system and the hormones. So it's looking at a systems approach rather than the traditional medical approach, which is around specific organs and the diseases that occur in that organ. Looking uh, at the person as a whole, as, as a whole, to and how an everything organ. how everything interrelates. So, if you see a gut specialist in the traditional medical, you know, they're not going to be asking about your sleep, or asking about stress levels, or asking about other aspects of your well-being. They'll be looking at purely at the integrity of your gut and any disease processes occurring in the gut. Whereas, if you go to a functional medical 
doctor with a gut issue, certainly they'll be looking at a lot of the disease processes, but also better have a look at all the other systems that are involved and how are they integrated and interactive. And, and with functional medicine, you know, the patient or the client is definitely the center of the model. And, and the functional practitioner tries to gather what other practitioners or support that person needs for their specific issues, as opposed to the medical model where the doctor is essentially the center of the model. And you, know, you have to go see the doctor, go to their clinic and try to plead your case in a very short time period. So it's a different framework, essentially. And I think a lot of people are resonating with that framework. And within that, there are becoming many subspecialties. And so when I was learning about functional medicine and starting a family and seeing the struggles that my partner was having and then seeing those struggles mirrored out in many other mothers, clients, friends, now I realized there was a real pattern and the issues that I was learning about in functional medicine often exaggerated or there are specific issues going on mm. in that sort of postnatal period. What were those patterns that you were seeing? The patterns, and I've kind of broken it down into a bit of a hierarchy, mainly just because I needed to get my head around the complexities. But mm. I, So those patterns were around micronutrient depletion. So micronutrients are things that the body needs only in small amounts, and they're typically vitamins, minerals, and metals. And you know, the number one micronutrient problem that I saw postnatally was iron. And obviously... To make a baby, birth a baby, requires a lot of iron. And if that isn't being replaced or iron isn't being absorbed very well in someone's diet, a mother can really fall back in iron. And I see so many of my mothers, either during their pregnancy or afterwards, they're allowed to have a really low iron or they're only slightly anemic. And for a mother who wants to have vitality and be at the top of her game, having low iron is just not a good place to be starting. So that's a very important one. Iron's really important for energy mm. production and for detoxification. It just happens to make red blood cells as part of its job. So looking at anemia or not anemia as the binary yes or no is your iron okay is not where it's at and why iron is important. And we're living in a society where a lot of people have low zinc levels. And if you go into pregnancy with low zinc levels... Zinc's particularly important for integrity of cell membranes. So just, you know, is your gut working well? Is your skin, you know, mucous membranes? It's very important for other digestive issues as well. And what a lot of people don't realize is during pregnancy, the amount of available copper in your system will double. It's an important part to make sort of blood vessels. Ah. And if you happen to have low zinc, the effect of that copper, if you have too much copper in your system, it can be quite anxiety inducing it can be quite inflammatory but the copper should with normal zinc levels come back down after birth and if the copper levels remain high and then you have subsequent sort of pregnancies you can be left in a place where there's too much bioavailable copper in your system and that's again can really exacerbate or exaggerate a lot of the postnatal symptoms and so looking at the ratio between copper and zinc's i think really important and then now, vitamin B12, vitamin D are quite important micronutrients to look at as well. A lot of us, rightly so, are quite worried about the sun and we don't eat many organ meats in our generation anymore, which was the main food where you can get vitamin D from. And vitamin D, it's important in lots of different sort of processes. So trying to correct vitamin D, especially when you're having immune system or gut issues, vitamin D is a big deal. So trying to just correct 
those. And when I'm correcting micronutrient levels, I'm not trying to make them perfect. I'm just trying to make them better to enable the body to get back to balance. Because what I see with postnatal depletion, it's like a, a capsized boat, if you like. There's not anything necessarily wrong with the boat, but the boat's not moving as it should be and so the idea of it being sort of capsized it just needs more than just one good night's sleep it needs more than just a simple multivitamin to sort of correct that it needs a coordinated effort around things to help with that woman's health and getting her the mother back on to sort of her well how does a a woman know because i guess post baby it's very normal isn't it to feel not yourself to feel exhausted overwhelmed how do we know, I guess, I know normal is a difficult phrase, but how do we know when actually I think there's something wrong with my micronutrients or my hormones, I'm going to go and see someone versus I'm going to surrender to this. This feels very natural for me to feel depleted. I think it is normal to have feelings of baby brain and fatigue and hypervigilance after the birth of a child, but these things should be fairly short-lived and they should be fairly mild. So for me... great. So it's how long it's And and also how severe. And so anything beyond three months in terms of significant symptoms... Right. I think it may be common, but may not necessarily be part of the normal design, as it were. Okay. And I think this is why a lot of old cultures would really focus on the first six weeks to make sure mothers recovered and so they put them into a... Often having rituals around the mother, having to be in a deep state of convalescence, you know, having to really recover hormonally and micronutrient level from a food point of view, having these foods very dense in micronutrients and macronutrients to allow recovery so these symptoms would be fairly mild. So that's, you know, these cultures, I think this is such an important point. It's something Mm. that I did. I didn't leave home for three weeks after my first baby but that's only because I had an amazing kundalini yoga teacher who told me that was what was going to happen and I I followed her can you talk to a bit about that immediate postpartum rest period and what's going on in the body particularly hormonally with the birth of placenta we were talking about earlier weren't we yeah yeah so I'll take a little bit of a segue just to sort of talk about the postpartum practices and move into why that postnatal period is so important so you know with my functional medical training I kind of saw postnatally depleted mothers. And so I thought, well, I hadn't come up with that term yet, but I was thinking, oh, well, there's a pattern here. So I went to the medical textbooks and searched high and low in multiple languages to try to figure out what's going on. And this is a very understudied field, this idea of postnatal well-being or even postnatal physiology, very sort of understudied. And all my internet searches kept leading me back to postpartum practices, what these cultures did to make sure that this didn't happen. And the Ayurvedic, traditional Chinese medical practitioners, they were very aware that mothers could get very depleted. They've had a different language around describing it, but they had very strict guidelines about how to keep mothers essentially safe from a wellness point of view. So for me, when you're looking at what's going on from a hormone point of view, you know, the placenta, it's more than just a fancy filter. It's a hormone-producing factory. Not many people understand how profound the role of the placenta is in, in producing hormones. Over 200 different hormones are made by the placenta. A woman's estrogen goes up 30 times above baseline. Her progesterone goes up 10 times above baseline in the third trimester. 
cortisol, the stress response, and meet the demands of the day. Hormone goes up three times above baseline in third trimester. These are all good and necessary things for a healthy pregnancy. But and it also explains part of the baby glow and why mothers can look so different and almost radiant during second and third trimester. It's all those hormones. Now, with the delivery of the placenta, you lose that hormone-producing factory. And it's considered that the baby blues are just a, a very normal transition and, you know, in that first two to three days of the body trying to readjust all the hormone levels. But for a body to be able to recover hormones, we need to have minimal stress and a place for deep relaxation for the hormones to come back online. Now, the modern mother often has a lot of stress, either as a result of the labor, the delivery, and whatever's gone on there. But in those first six weeks, trying to get their head around what's going on, we are talking before about the birth of the child not being the finish line, but the starting point of motherhood. And there can be so much in the world of expectations. Do you see that a lot? So mums straight out of a hospital, too many families visiting, expectations, tidying the house, making lunch for people. Oh, I've seen this with my yeah. friends. Tell me, because obviously you have such wisdom around this, what do you coach your mums to do in that first six weeks? So I've got a funny saying in my clinic, and that's no visitors, only staff. And... What that's alluding to is that if you're going to have people coming into the baby bubble and what you really want to do is create and maintain that baby bubble so not only can breastfeeding and the bonding with the child happen with not too much disturbance but really for that mother to have that deep relaxation. And so if you're having people coming into that bubble, you shouldn't be entertaining them, making them cups of tea and, like you said, lunch and there should be an emphasis not to have the perfect house, those kind of things. All the things that could potentially cause stress for a mother ideally should be taken care of by others. So sometimes the role of the father or the other, any primary caregivers, is around organising the help, whether it be a food roster, a nappy roster, getting things done in the garden, doing uh, jobs that may pull the mother out of the house but can keep her in there if you're helping you get a car service, you know, whatever it is. And then anyone who's coming to see the baby is actually one of your staff. They're doing a job. I did this. Everyone that came to see me in those three weeks had to bring the next meal. So if they came at 11, they had to bring lunch. If they came at four, they had to bring dinner. And what my friends and family told me is they loved that because they wanted to bring something and they wanted to help and they loved it. I think they felt really useful and I was so appreciative. I actually didn't cook a meal for six weeks, which was just amazing. Amazing, but also perhaps even necessary. So that's a big stress you can take out of someone's life in terms of cleaning up and food preparation. It made a difference. My base was my bedroom. I rarely came downstairs during that period. I think it really helped set me up. Yeah, and so, you know, you did a really good job creating that baby bubble. But to do that, you have to have those discussions I could only do before it be, yeah. the birth of the baby. So it's not something that you can necessarily work out 
in the first few weeks. Those things, you know, just like people have a birth plan, you need to have a postnatal plan yeah. and that needs to be sorted out. And I out only had this because, you know, as I mentioned, I trained with this incredible Kundalini teacher, Gurma Khalsa, who's quite famous, yeah. and she coached us to yeah. do that. I wouldn't have done it otherwise because it's not discussed in Western yeah, and culture. Yeah, well, I think part of you know, your mission statement and part of my mission statement is to make sure those discussions are more had yeah. in our community so mothers aren't trying to work things out as they go along going oh, okay well you know having a really good six-week postnatal plan okay that sounds like a good idea I'll start that process now because it makes the world a difference well you have an analogy which I love about if you're a first-time mum in particular it's like going on a roller coaster in the dark <laughs> it's actually if people like you and maybe what I'm doing a bit of mother kind and others can shed a light on what that experience might mm. feel like and what we could do to support yeah I think that's really important. And it can be a very up and down process, you know, this pregnancy, birthing, those first few months. And so that's the analogy of a roller coaster. But a roller coaster can be really enjoyable if you're up for it and know what's going on. But if a mother isn't told about these things and supported, then it is like being in a roller coaster in the dark and you're not even sure what the hell's going on and when is it going to end. And no one else has talked about this dark roller coasters so it must be me and so there starts the self-implosion that is shame. so do you see a lot of shame i see a lot of shame a lot of comparing you know social media what do you see shame in comparison about where does it come from do you mean or, yeah there's certain things that mums latch on to in your experience around feeling not good enough for example the depletion extending beyond that first year yeah or, we live in a competitive ambitious society there is almost a code of silence from generations gone past that mothers have really suffered in silence, so why should you have help? And it's not necessarily even a conscious mm. thing, but it's something that's coming, well, I, I didn't have support for my kids. No one but it's selfish, maybe, too. Selfish, but it's also just unresolved trauma, I think, a lot, is, yeah. is what's been passed on through mm. the generations. So we're seeing an intergenerational issue, and... Social media makes it very easy to compare where you're at. And again, if things aren't talked about and there isn't a spectrum of experience that people are aware of, that not every mother could even possibly be that have the same experience. So there's going to be a spectrum of experiences. And when you look at traditional cultures, there was so much input in terms of support and help. And then typically... When the child was one to two years old, there'd be lots of other allo parents or other people looking after that sort of child. And so there wasn't the emphasis of being the sole care provider or the main care provider for 18 years and beyond. And then having to provide all the entertainment, all the education, all those things. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively and therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind.
so far away from our families. Yeah, so in the 21st century, we've got a very artificial situation. And I think this idea of postnatal depletion is just one of the factors that we're seeing. But there's the social fabrics getting sort of very affected when mothers aren't supported in their journey back to wellness. And so this is why we're both very passionate about this sort of topic. Mm -hmm. The world's a much better place with healthy mothers. And I think our societies are going to be able to start the process of helping reverse a lot of the ill that has gone on over generations if mothers are well and clear about where they're at. I think what's also so fascinating about your work and the book, which I highly recommend, is this isn't something that, as you said earlier, is even the first year of motherhood. This can extend right the way up to seven years and beyond. Mm. So there definitely can be a legacy effect if things aren't supported and brought back into line early on. And traditional Chinese medicine has a really interesting saying that the first 42 days after the birth of a child for a mother affects, for good or for bad, the next 42 years. It's a very sobering thought. Wow. Have you experienced that to be true? I think so. I mean, I obviously haven't had clients for 42 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe yet. But I've seen a lot of, you know, I've got a number of sort of older clients who describe their earlier experiences and they definitely can have... Know, legacy effects. And I had one mother in particular that I remember recently telling me that she was diagnosed with two autoimmune conditions 35 years after the birth that didn't go right. But she felt everything started at that time, all her issues, but it took a very long time before they were sort of diagnosed. So without having the data, you, know, you can definitely sense that that person had had a legacy effect from that particular pregnancy and birth. Mm. And it took a very long to sort of diagnose and get sort of treatment for that. So my feeling is that there is a lot of truth in that, but there's a lot you can do if your first 42 days hasn't been ideal or perfect or particularly stressful and traumatic. No, there's a lot you can do to undo that. What would you coach mums to do? One is to really look at any trauma that's occurred around birth. You know, I'm not a birth trauma specialist, but I work with people who specialise in that. And so whether it's just to sort of talk to someone about what's going on or to do some physical therapy such as somatic experiencing, which have been shown to be quite useful, rapid eye desensitisation therapy I've seen work in some of my mothers who have a very strong negative birth story because that will have effects on how the hormone and nervous system works. And so that's sort of a starting point. And then it's about healing the nervous system, healing the hormonal system. And you can use a lot of ancient wisdom or a lot of modern techniques for those things. But it can be anything from restorative acupuncture, yoga, interesting studies around how yoga can help sort of reset the system. Sleep is the great restorer. It's the new mum's nemesis, though, isn't it? Well, it's kind of built into the problem that the thing that helps the most with recovery is the thing that gets affected the most. Yeah, Uh, because you said this stat, which I love, which is that, I know we're going back to that early period, but 700 hours of sleep. Lost in the first year for the average mother. Gosh, I mean, if you gave that to any human, let alone with all the pressures of... And then if you've got other depletion issues going on, that's a big... Factor. And so rather than using that as a fear statistic, it's about going, well, no, we need to prepare for that. How do you help your mums around that sleep? Well, first, to make it a priority. 
Yeah, don't that, clean the house when it's bedtime. Exactly, or that couple of hours after the baby's gone to bed, that's my time. If you're really struggling with your health and your well-being, that couple of hours isn't worth it. You'll get that couple of hours later on. That's such a good message. But you need that as part of your recovery. So making sleep a priority, getting to sleep as early as you can, knowing that you're probably going to have to wake up pretty early as well, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but going to bed like getting up early is not a recipe for recovery. And then micro-napping. So... The research is kind of showing that if, even if you have long naps during the day, for a totally exhausted mother, that's probably okay. But for a mother who's in the moderate zone, a micro-napping is probably all that you need. And it's just a nap that's no more than 20 minutes. Interesting. Okay. It's almost like you are touching, why is, why touching sleep and then coming back from it. Okay. It can help reset how adenosine levels and how the brain's kind of sort of functioning so it can just be a reset but without actually getting into sleep state if you start to get into a deep sleep you can actually affect your ability to, be able to get to sleep at night time and get really good sleep early on at night time yeah so our rhythms and you can have as many micro naps as you like and if you're super exhausted there yeah, having a two-hour naps you know absolutely warranted but if you're in that road to recovery and you know, the micro-naps is often all a mum can get anyway because having to childcare and all the responsibilities, it can seem like a, a distant luxury to say, oh, look, just you know, have a longer rest time. I think that idea of the micro-naps and maybe just get... And you have to put your alarm on because it's very easy to fall asleep if you're very tired. And so the idea is you just touch sleep. It's almost like, oh, my God, I could have gone into a deep sleep then. And that first couple of minutes can be hard to come out of that and then get back into your awake self, but that's a good micro-nap when you've done that. And, Fascinating. And, 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 and that's can the it, best for then restorative sleep later And it can on. really improve your next three to four hours. Even if that restorative sleep later on is very broken. Yeah. Okay. And it just really helps with our stress response. And so that's part of... lowering cortisol. Well, it's about how the nervous system and brain chemicals and then how sensitive is that cortisol trigger. Now, the worst thing for a mother is to be left in a state of overwhelm. And so there's kind of a heightening of that cortisol, noradrenaline stress response. And so it doesn't take much to throw a mother out. The classic example I use is the dropping glass example. So if I was just to drop a glass on something hard like concrete and it smashes, everyone kind of reacts to the noise, they move away, and their nervous system kind of calms down pretty quickly. Yep. An overwhelmed mother, they can be carrying around that reaction from the broken glass for minutes, if not hours, afterwards. So it's this very sensitized nervous system, and that what happens when a mother's left an overwhelm ongoing. Yes, we're designed for stress, but we need stress off as part of it. So stress on, stress off is a big mantra for my mothers. Mm. Have you got any tips or tools for that stress off piece? If someone is listening to this and really resonating with that hypervigilance overwhelm, how do you get someone into that karma? You've talked about restorative practices. Yeah, and, and so, and you need to grab what you can get. And what I mean by that is sometimes you need to be doing something in the aisle in the grocery store whilst you're queuing up and your kids are just going nuts in the lolly section. You know, they're the times when that overwhelm can really be overdriven. So it's good about having little mindfulness practices or breath awareness practices yep. for those times. Yep. They don't take very long. 
I'm a big fan of Heart Math, which is a biofeedback tool that you can buy on the internet that measures your heart rate variability, which is a stress response number, if you like. And through a finger probe or earlobe probe, you can just practice through biofeedback, so through breathing or mindfulness techniques to get yourself back into a state of nervous system balance. Mm. Training is typically five minutes twice a day, so it's definitely achievable. And it just gives you a tool to go, okay, I can actually use this in the traffic or when my kid's having meltdown time, a way to, to quickly get back to balance, and that's the stress off. Other things that can be really useful, but they're a little bit maybe not as easy reach, things like restorative acupuncture, restorative yoga, but now you have to take time out of your life to sort of do that, but they're very good at helping reset that trigger-happy sort of nervous system, as it were. I'm a big fan of herbs. Herbs have been shown to help how the body deals with stressful What's some of your My my number one is ashwagandha, so it's from the Ayurvedic tradition. It's been used in pregnancy and breastfeeding for thousands of years, and if you're having sleep deprivation, it helps how your body functions during the day because of that sleep deprivation. Amazing. So I'll put a link, Wild Nutrition, who's a friend of the podcast, Mm. sell one, a brilliant one. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who's wanting to get that straight away yeah and it's it's a very accessible herb it's a very affordable herb and there's a reasonable amount of research and a lot of historical use around it so it's all about getting a good quality herb and and then using it at the right sort of doses so often you need to have fairly sort of high doses so each supplement's slightly different so i'm not too sure what the optimal dose would be with the wild nutrition because it depends on how they dry it or if it's a liquid or if it's in a capsule or in a tablet so it's not just a milligram sort of dosage but if you can get onto the right dose and take it twice a day it can make a world of difference wow and does someone need to be consulting with a naturopath because i guess this isn't going to come from our gps is it currently all this Uh, this focus on no but you can be working with your gp if they're happy to be working with a naturopath and get that so i'm I'm really liking the idea of coordinated care but you know naturopathic practitioners have a huge amount of experience because they have a special interest in postnatal care Mm -hmm. i work with naturopaths in my clinic their wisdom and their tools that they bring into things that are just so so useful yeah so this phrase that you've coined like absolutely love that we were talking about in your talk earlier is matrescence and can you explain what that is and why you think it's important so i didn't coin the term but actually was coined in the 1970s by anthropologists to describe the becoming of a mother when they looked at different cultures what did that becoming of a mother sort of look like and then matrescent started to be used by psychologists a lot to describe the troubles, turmoils and pitfalls of becoming a mother and looking at psychological well-being. And now what I'm trying to do is start to use this term also to encompass all the biological things that go along with this transformation into motherhood. Now, if we take the term adolescence, and look at matrescence, there's a lot of similarity between the two words, and I'll unpack this a little bit. So matrescence is the transformation into motherhood. It doesn't just happen overnight, and there are a lot of physical and hormonal changes that occur in the body. And just like adolescence, 
adolescence is hormonally driven. There are huge changes that occur in the adolescent's body and in their brain structure and in the way they look at the world. And again, it takes several years. And adolescence is a transformation from a child to an adult. And we know that it can be a pretty rocky time for adolescents and they need a lot of support, but they come out of that and they are literally a transformed person. I think matrescence is equally, if not more, profound than adolescence when you're looking at the changes that are occurring. One of the things that happens during matrescence, as an example, is the typical mother's brain shrinks 5% during pregnancy and then gets reformed in the first sort of six months. I don't see it as a shrinkage. I see it as a transformation of the brain. Lots of new neurons get laid down. In fact, the time of highest neurogenesis, the brain putting on new neurons outside a human being, a fetus, is during a pregnancy. So the brain's getting all these extra neurons. It's getting upgrades and things like smell, taste, facial recognition, motivation centers in the brain get a big upgrade. Some of the social cues and essentially a lot of the parts of the brain involved with intuition, which is actually a thing that the brain can do, get upgraded during pregnancy. And like an adolescent, there is a slightly wobbly time, and that's called baby brain. The mother's brain is trying to get used to this new hardware, software upgrade that she's had. And just like adolescence, it's a time that needs to be supported. Now, we wouldn't dream of not supporting the adolescent through their journey and just wishing for the best. So I think we need to really at least educate and support mothers around this transition and provide them an environment where they can have a healthy transformation as possible. Now, one of the other things that's quite interesting for me as with adolescence, you'd never see a adult trying to go back to their child-like state. Mm. Some adults do try, but that's not a realistic thing. I don't think it's even reasonable for a mother to try to go back to her pre-mother state. She's been transformed and upgraded, so what does her new life look like? And so this is a really important discussion to have because I think there is so much drive to get your pre-body baby back and your pre-baby life back and that's not actually very useful let alone realistic and so the support needs to be around how do we help mothers with that transformation where they're landing and where they're sort of going to from there and one of the things that we talked about earlier that totally fascinates me is the way that a mother views the world is often very different to how she views it beforehand. And in a good environment, what that mother does with her new world vista and her new sense of creativity as well can be amazing. And and that creativity doesn't necessarily need to be in the realm of art. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it can be a passion from earlier that gets a new viewpoint as it were and and sometimes mothers will start to get very creative about writing or about self-expression sometimes the creativity can be with a food preparation or or helping with projects in their community or in their school but I'm really fascinated about this idea of how that new creativity sort of looks because it's a very powerful thing that I think mothers sort of bring into the world and it needs to be one have a place for it to go but also mothers need to understand that 
they have been transformed. It's okay that they think about the world differently rather than being sort of chucked back into the workplace very soon after the birth of a child. And they fit. You know, often mothers can feel so different and so foreign in this, yeah, this, in this place that used to be familiar. Yeah, you hear that all the time. Mm. And I think, you know, the Dalai Lama said the Western woman will save the, the world, world and you like to say... The Western mother is going to save the world. And it's the idea of mothers who are supported in this transformation can really help knit together families and communities and that's what we're needing to heal generations of trauma in our society. Mm. And it's going to take a while, but I think it really starts with mothers. So this is why you and I are so passionate about this work. This is what, Yeah, this is how I came. And, and I am a case study of one. You know, I was in corporate marketing <laughs> yeah. um, before I had my baby and, you know, I experienced that, that sense of wanting to be of service in the world, mm. wanting to help. And I see that time and time again. Yeah. I think... You know, the work that you're doing, it's incredible with so many others, is trying to create a community and a network around talking about that. Yeah. Let's try and get this word matrescence into our vocabulary just as adolescence is. Yeah, um, and, and so just important. so at least our children have an easier time with this because, you know, everyone has had to kind of figure this out on their own, or most people. And if this can be supported, it can be quite a different experience for people. Mm. and An awakening as a, as a mother. Yeah, and if your purpose and creativity is in being a mother, then that's, a, you know, I think, a very noble thing to be doing, and it should be seen and viewed as that. So our society's got a long way to go to rebalance this whole idea around matrescence and honouring motherhood, but I've seen a huge change even in the last sort of seven years, and we're seeing some pretty high-profile people speaking out about the realities of motherhood, and I think that's such a healthy thing. Thank you, Serena. <laughs> and Beyonce, I think, was another yeah, sort of recent this one. Week, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. The, con- yeah. the conversation is changing. Thank you. I found that so fascinating, and I would really encourage people to check out your book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure. Cure. And I always end every interview with the same question. Okay. Which is, if you could give one gift to all the mothers in the whole world, what would it be and why? It's a great question. Now, my gift would be just around acknowledgement. And so if we can at least acknowledge how important mother care is and we can take that acknowledgement into conversations that we have with young mothers, early mothers or women who are thinking about being mothers... That acknowledgement is the biggest gift, I think, that we can do collectively to start changing this conversation. Wow. So everyone listening, I want you to just take a minute to just acknowledge yourself in this moment of the transformation that you've been through. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zoe. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So 
If that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.